Good morning, friends. Today we're going to talk about something called entitlement. Some of you are excited. This is the sermon that we get to get back at those millennials, right? Those millennials, they run us off the road. They ruin our lives. So I'm one year away from being a millennial, apparently. I get to be in the non-millennial category by about six months. So uh, if, if you look at that video and you realize, okay, there's a lot of things going on that are incorrect or wrong about that, uh, just hang on a second because we're going to be getting uh, maybe to the rest of you uh, this morning. Uh, myself, uh, yes, I have some entitlement issues. Do you have some entitlement issues of your own? Uh, when I was about six or seven years old, uh, I was in elementary school, and apparently uh, I have the uh, certificate at the end of the school year, uh, in kindergarten, I guess I was five or six years old, and at the end of the school year, I got an award that was given to me the last day of school called the Better Idea Award. So apparently, the teacher would tell the class, you know, get out your crayons and write your name and color this picture, and I would raise my hand and say, that's nice, Mrs. Smith, I have a better idea. And so she gave me the award at the end of the year and decided not to throw me over the fence. <laughs> and so uh, I got that. Also, my grandparents tell me a story about uh, they were visiting and, and we were walking around. I grew up on the family farm type of thing. And they said, uh, are you going to be a farmer when you grow up like your dad? And I looked at him and I said, I already are a farmer. You're standing on my property is basically what I was saying. Like there's these entitlement issues that we're all built in with. I got a little bit older. I got married on December the 29th. And so I didn't think much of it. I don't know, but my father-in-law took great offense that when tax season came the next year that I claimed my wife as a dependent because I was entitled to that. Those three days that I slaved over working and supporting my wife that year. So entitlement is an issue that we all deal with. If you don't agree with me, we'll get there, okay? We're in this sermon series called A Beautiful Collision, where God's grace and God's wrath collide. Where God's grace and God's wrath collide. As we opened up the book of Romans a few weeks ago, many of you were tracking, you were excited about where we were going. The first uh, two messages talked about the gospel, the good news about the good news. The very first sermon in this series was the best news you've ever heard. And that's where we started in this sermon series. But as we got through that first chapter and we started rounding to chapter two and now we'll be going into chapter three today, we start dealing with some issues that are coming out and it's not very comfortable for us to read and for us to dig in and to dive in. The first one maybe you're okay with because he, he kind of teaches this little mini-sermon uh, the Apostle Paul does. In the first week, he deals with the pagans or those who are farthest away from God, the Gentiles, those who don't know anything about God, those who are far from Christ, and he talks to them first. And he says, all you do is satisfy your own passions. You're pursuing all the things that make you feel good, and you don't care what anybody else thinks. You are a sinner. And the rest of us sit back and we say, yeah, go get him, Paul. And then he starts to turn the page a little bit. And he deals with the moralists. The second sermon he, he kind of teaches and preaches was this, uh, the moralists that look back and forth, <coughs> excuse me, down the street. And they feel like it's their responsibility to be the neighborhood watch. To make sure that everybody in the neighborhood is doing things, uh, they're just one step above everybody else in the neighborhood. 
And they keep track of all of the things that are happening and all the people around them and say, as long as I'm a little bit better than the people around me, look at me, I am your moral compass. And Paul goes after them as well. Last week we talked about the elitist Jew and the way that that Paul systematically goes through and breaks down the foundation of their argument and says this is ineffective, it's inappropriate, and ultimately it is not going to get you where you want to go. Ultimately, you need what? You need a Savior, Jesus Christ, because all that you are doing is a broken and damaged foundation. No matter how many rituals you perform, uh, the ritual in and of itself is not going to get you anywhere. This morning, we've got Bibles in the pews in front of you. We'll be using the New International Version this morning. But many of you are coming in with your own Bibles. Many of you are coming in, uh, some of you are coming in with a, maybe a, a Bible case that has a frilly thing around the, op- the end of it. Maybe some of you are coming in with a kid's Bible, and you've got pictures in it. And, and some of you are coming in, we have, we have Bibles of every sort, every shape. When we, we looked at the Willits video there, there, there's something we just do not understand in here, our American culture, the idea of not having a Bible of not having access to that. In this context, Paul is saying, you have all the information you need, and yet that doesn't do you any good. I was reading a little uh, cartoon this week that that the the pastor was coming over to the family's house, and the, the mother was making sure that she got everything together. And as the pastor comes in, he sees a note on the refrigerator, make sure to dust all the Bibles. It's not a matter of access. The ritual in and of itself is not the problem. It's a matter of the heart, right? The relationship with Christ. So this week we're going to dig in a little bit because this last section, before, we, before he eases off a little bit and gives us a little bit of hope and we give a glimpse of what Jesus does for us here at the end of chapter 3, he deals with what I'm going to call this morning, your first fill-in if you're following along with us, It's a white sheet of paper in your bulletin called The Entitlement Attitude. The Entitlement Attitude. I am owed, these are fill-ins, I am owed special treatment. I'm owed special treatment. Have you ever met someone and they said, hi, I'm so glad you got to meet me. I am owed special treatment. I'm exempt from responsibility. I've got $30,000 in credit card debt. Well, maybe you should start to pay that back. Oh, really? That sounds boring. There's this, the responsibility doesn't connect. Because why? Because this person feels entitled. Romans chapter 12 says this, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. This person is owed special treatment, they think, or I am exempt from responsibility. Let's read a few verses together. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. What advantage then is there being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? There's much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar. As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings God's righteousness more clearly, what then shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? 
Someone else might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? (coughs) Why not say, as some slanderously claim that I would say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. (coughs) As we go through these first eight verses, Paul is building an argument. Is there anyone this morning who knows who Jim Gaffigan is? Raise your hand if you know who Jim Gaffigan is. Oh, some of you are very excited about that. All right. Well, Jim Gaffigan is a comedian. Uh, he is uh, a clean comedian, if you will. I, I've not really heard much that I would uh, have questionable in his material, so that makes him unique for most stand-up comedians. Uh, but as he uh, talks, there's something that he does that's very unique to him, his idea that he came up with, and it's kind of this breaking of the fourth wall of, of the, the TV screen or the stage, is that he'll tell a joke, and then he'll, he'll put on this persona of a person sitting in the audience and say, well, that joke wasn't very funny. You know, he'll, he'll tell a su- succession of eight different jokes about bacon. He loves to talk about bacon. And he'll tell joke after joke after joke after joke after bacon. And then he'll use this voice to say, is he going to tell another joke about bacon? And he just goes back, and, because it's what you're thinking a lot of times in the audience. Or he's, he's kind of going, he's, and he kind of, does this. Actually, there's the same tool that Paul is using here. The Apostle Paul (coughs) is using a persona of a person who's asking some questions. And for the sake of our argument this morning, we're going to call this person Entitlement Edna. Entitlement Edna. Now, here's a couple of questions. So, this imaginary person that Paul has feels like she or he Entitlement Andrew, if you want. That would make you feel better. Uh, This person is owed special treatment. This person is exempt from responsibility. This person is owed special treatment. This person is exempt from responsibility. Look at the questions that they begin to ask. First to ask, if there's no partiality with God, as you said back in the the previous chapter, he said, well, then what good is it to be God's chosen people? That means that his chosen people don't even have any advantages. So sad. So this person has the, the perspective to say, okay, if, if, if really what you're saying is that, that there's no advantage to being a Jew, then why would anybody want to be a Jew? And if God has, has, has this, uh, this chosen people and yet there's nothing special or spectacular about them, what's the point? This is their prime privilege as a Jew, is that they were basically the librarians, the library keepers. They were keeping the law. God had given them a very specific thing in that he had given them the law. God's chosen people were his chosen people. It wasn't the ancient Incas. It wasn't the ancient Mayans, (coughs) the ancient Egyptians. It was the Israelites, the ancient Hebrews. And he had given this revelation to them. He had allowed for them to know his word, and he had given it in a written form so that they would know exactly what they were supposed to do. And this heavenly treasure is credited to them in that they have the holy scriptures. Paul will later expand on the advantage of the people that the Jews have in in chapter 9, and we'll get there. But he'll explain that Israel has been adopted into God's family, that he has given them the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, the lineage of the Messiah. All of this has been given to the Jew, and yet entitlement Edna sits back and said, what's the big deal? God's not even powerful enough to do anything. If there's no advantage, then he's of no use to me. Second question, for what if some don't believe? 
Won't their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? He won't be able to do anything. This is a question we actually ask. Maybe you don't use it in the same, same terms, but really if you have someone in your life that you respect as a well-educated person, a wise person, a smart person, and you feel like they have dug into God's Word, they have made their way through, they have read, they have listened, they have studied, and they come to the conclusion that it is all false, that it's all a crutch, it's all religiosity, and it's just a way to make us feel better about the world that we live in. Your mind starts going, well, maybe. I mean, they seem to be smarter than me. They've got a lot of degrees after their name, or they've, they've lived a long life, or they just seem like they've got the pieces together. Maybe I'm off here. Maybe his faithfulness of God, maybe if his word was so strong that maybe if, if it can't convince that person, maybe there's not much to it. Because it ought to be able to convince so-and-so. If it convinced them, then, then I would feel better about it convincing me. Won't the unbelief for the faithfulness of God, he, he, the fact that he won't be able to do anything, doesn't that ruin things? <coughs> you and I had better go on believing. <laughs> we need to understand that we trust God, and we, we go through and testing and proving the faithfulness of God, and living upon Christ our Lord and our Savior, even though we see a list of doubters, a long list, and that list gets longer and longer, yes, but... Do we, do we allow that to happen? No, verse 4 says, not at all. Let God be true and let every human be a liar. If you lined up every person in this room and one by one, one after another, we all decided to call God a liar. And then we continued and we walked down the street and we grabbed everybody in Williamsville, everybody in western New York, and we lined them all up and every single one of us called God a liar. It does not change the fact that God is true. It does not change who he is based on our perception of things. You could continue with that analogy. You start in Williamsville, Western New York, New York State, the whole state, the whole country, the whole globe decides that God is a liar. It does not change the fact that God is true no matter what. Entitlement Edna Remember, she's owed special treatment. She's exempt from responsibility. She asks, if my unrighteousness will demonstrate God's righteousness, how can God judge me? If me being a sinner shows, God how, shows the world how great he is, how can he judge me for being a sinner? <coughs> Ultimately, my sin will bring him the greatest glory, so I will continue to sin to give him glory. And that's good for me, and he can't judge me because of that. Can you hear Judas making this case? Imagine, if you will, Judas in, in the, the throne room of God. And Judas stands there before the throne, and God is, is looking at him and, and, and condemning him for his sin. He says, wait, wait, wait a minute. You needed me. You needed me to betray Jesus. If I didn't betray Jesus, if I did not sell him for coins, then he wouldn't be on the cross, and he wouldn't have had to die for our sins, and he wouldn't have to, and he wouldn't have to, and he wouldn't have to, so you owe me. Foolishness. You could see somebody in the throne room leaning over, saying, Judas, 
You need to know where you're at. Whose throne room are you in? Whose, whose space are you in? Even us, we, who, whose world do we live in? Whose globe, who spun things into motion? Certainly not, Paul says. So how would then God judge the world? He dismisses the question of his opponent easily. If such things like this were suggested, then God wouldn't judge anyone <coughs> by his righteousness. It's true that God will even use the unrighteous man to accomplish his glory, yes, and bring praise to his name, yes. And Judas' betrayal of Jesus is a good example of this. Nevertheless, it is by the way that God glorifies himself because of man's sin, by him righteously dealing with those who are unrighteous. Did you follow that? Because God does treat us the way that we deserve to be treated shows how righteous he is and shows our need for a savior. Then entitlement Edna, remember, she's owed special treatment. She's exempt from responsibility. She'll ask this last question, well then, well if God will glorify himself through my lie, then how can he judge me? Since I seem to indirectly increase his glory. The more that I lie, the greater his glory will be. So let's continue to sin so that God will be glorified even more. The reality is that Paul, Paul looks at this statement, and he says, he's actually, if you, if you look there a little bit, you can see that he's being taken out of context. He's saying that there's this twisting the gospel he is sharing. It means that he's actually communicating a gospel that says that your sin and your lies can be glorified through Jesus Christ, that he will save you from your sins. He will show grace to you. And he is teaching grace so much that people actually are saying, you know what? The more grace, the grace will abound if I sin all the more. If I am more of a liar, then I will receive more grace from God. Let's pause for a moment and just say, modern day, our room, our church, our people, myself, we're not communicating grace well enough that we could be accused of that. Would you agree? We are not communicating grace in a way, the abundance of God's grace where someone might actually twist or pervert or take advantage of that. And perhaps if we actually communicated grace in the way that Paul is leading us to, maybe we'd be in good company with Paul. Because he's, he's being, it's being twisted, yes. <coughs> the twisting is God's, he says, wait a minute. For those who would teach such things or would accuse Paul of, of overextending uh, grace to people, uh, may, maybe you, he just says, you know what, their condemnation is just. He doesn't really even answer the argument. He, he says, you, you've gone too far on this one. You've gone too far. I don't need to even answer this because to, to suggest that we sin so that God's glory would be shown is foolish. Entitlement Edna Feels like she's owed special treatment. She's exempt from responsibility. It's by no accident this morning that I've asked you to write in your fill-ins, I am owed special treatment. I am exempt from responsibility. Why? Because you and I are the ones asking these questions. And just like Paul's readers were the ones asking these questions, none of them believed that they were. None of them believe that they were, which is our next film for you this morning. This is the entitlement trap. This is the entitlement trap. 
Paul brings it to inclusion. He says, what shall we conclude then? Verse 9. Do we have any advantage? No, not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away, and they have altogether become worthless or unprofitable. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, if you've got your Bibles open this morning, the next few verses, there are all kinds of cross-references given. When Paul says, as it is written, he gets out the holy scriptures that have been given to the Jews. He makes sure that they understand that he is well documenting this. If he were a physician giving a report to a medical community, he's making sure that he's done his homework to to prove the fact that what he is putting out there is true. And he says, all have turned away. They together become worthless or unprofitable. The word here is is a similar word to what you would talk about with with rotting fruit. How many of you this this spring, in in January this year, you said, we're going to eat healthy as a family. And so you went out and you bought some fruit and you put it on the kitchen counter. And everybody walks by it. And it sits there on the kitchen counter. And you told everybody, we're going to eat healthy. So we're going to get some fruit on that kitchen counter. How's the fruit doing? Because when it starts to go bad, when it starts to get ugly, now let, let's say a banana. A banana, you can see it on the outside and you go, I don't know if I want something like that. Like that's looking a little bit ripe, looking a little bit overripe, looking a little bit wrong. There is nothing that's going to happen to that banana that's going to make it taste any better. You know what? Let's wait a couple more days. It's unprofitable. It's worthless. And every once in a while you get a different type of fruit that maybe on the outside isn't so visual. Maybe it's an apple or something that has a harder surface and you don't realize that the inside of it, boy, that's not looking so good. Maybe take a bite and put it back. Maybe that'll get a better in a couple of days. No! The same thing happened in our home last weekend. We have our kitchen layout changed about a year ago, and so I was standing in the kitchen, I was talking with the kids, doing things, uh, pouring their breakfast cereal, that type of thing. (coughs) I put the milk away, went on with my day, so be it. The next morning, uh, that was Saturday last week, Sunday morning last week, my kids couldn't find the milk for breakfast. I had stuck the milk in the pantry, not in the refrigerator. The doors are very close to each other. Now, the foolishness would say, you know what? Let's just leave it there for a little while. Let's see. Maybe it'll be better tomorrow. No. Parents, how many times have you been digging through that disgusting minivan of yours and you have found a sippy cup that has been there for two days, three days, or you have a three-year-old and you go, oh, this thing has been here since he was 18 months old. True story. <laughs> that baby is foul. It's unprofitable. It's worthless. It's not going to get better. It's like spoiled milk. And look at how he documents this as he goes through the next few verses here. It's just like a spiritual MRI from head to toe. Watch this. 
Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. That's a quote from Psalm chapter 5. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Psalm 140. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Psalm chapter 10. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin, misery mark their ways. And their way of peace they do not know. Isaiah 59, 7 and 8. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Psalm 36, 1. From head to toe, a spiritual MRI going through and pointing out there are some bad things going on here. When I was a kid, my dad had an MRI. They were concerned he had multiple sclerosis in his eye. <coughs> and if you've had one, I, I haven't. But when, you, when you're put into that tube, uh, they ask you, they asked him, He's told us the story about, they asked him if he would like to listen to a radio station or something in the earbuds, something to calm him down and keep him still. And so he asked to listen to the local Christian radio station, talk radio. He wanted to hear a sermon or something like that. He said, no, they, they put him in the thing and started to push him into the tube and immediately the radio station went to half static, half people talking. So he's inside of this thing and now he has to lay totally still and he's got static coming in and out of his ears, like jumping in, jumping out. Does that sound uncomfortable to you? It's already an uncomfortable situation. It's basically being put in a casket and see how long you can stay there. It's uncomfortable. When you look at this passage, does this make you uncomfortable? From head to toe, look at this. From head to toe, the entitlement trap is this. Here's your feelings for you. This is the entitlement trap. I don't believe that I have a rotten heart. I don't believe that I have a rotten heart. I don't believe that I have a filthy mouth. I don't believe that I have violent behaviors. I don't believe that I have blind eyes. Take your pencil, take your pen. Take your Bible and look through verses 13 through 18. And every time you see the word, their throats are open graves, change the word to yours or mine. Your throat is an open grave. Your tongue practiced deceit. The poison of vipers is on your lips. Your mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Your feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark your ways. The way of peace you do not know. There is no fear of God before your eyes. You see, this is the entitlement trap that you constantly, we constantly believe that we're talking about the person next to us, to somebody else. Now I'll give you, and we need to understand, yes, I could be living my life worse, okay? I'll give you that. You didn't punch the person yesterday. Okay, good. I could have. I could have lived my life a little bit worse up to this point. But we are all sinners before God. And he says here that our throats, your throat is an open grave, your tongue practices deceit. From head to toe, the MRI comes back dirty. And as long as we continue to say, he's not talking about me, we are falling into the entitlement trap. There is no one who does good, not even one. So what's the entitlement cure? What's the cure for this? If we are all 
in the same boat. There is not even one of us who isn't guilty of this dirty MRI. We don't need, here's the thing folks. There is a big solution that has been handed to us. And, and, and we don't need a big solution unless there is a big problem. We don't need a big solution unless there is a big problem. We don't pull a semi-truck into the parking lot and connect it to a bicycle trailer. We don't pull a semi-truck in. And why? Because a bicycle can pull a bicycle trailer. There's no reason for that. If your kid asks you if he can go down the corner and get an ice cream cone, and you pull out of your pocket and you say, here's... Here's $1,000, will that do it? Well, it'll do it, yes. But the reality is, is there is a big solution because there is a tremendously large, there is a big problem. The entitlement cure is this. Now we know, verse 19, that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world will be held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. This is a big problem. Here's your fill-ins for you this morning. It says it right here in Scripture for us to see. The entitlement cure is this, every mouth will be silenced, every person will be held accountable, every eye will be opened. Every mouth will be silenced, every person will be held accountable, every eye will be opened. When the centurion stands at the cross and he looks around, his eyes are open, why? Because the sun has gone dark. In the temple, the veil was torn from top to bottom, torn in two. No one was there. Nobody touched it. It was torn from the top to the bottom. The sky went dark. The earth is quaking and shaking. What does he do? His eyes are open. He sees. He says, truly, he was the son of God. What will happen when Jesus returns? What will happen when he returns again? Every mouth will be silenced. Every person will be held accountable. Every eye will be opened. This cures entitlement. How does it, well because responsibility is no longer exempt Special treatment, no longer. What are we supposed to do with that? Here's an illustration for you. Take your pen, take your pencil. On the side of your Bible, maybe on the side of your, your outline, uh, something like that. Just take, take, draw a line. Top to bottom, left to right, however you want. Let's go top to bottom. Draw a line down the side of that paper. Draw a nice line down the side of that piece of paper. We all set? Everybody's got it? Now, take that and and compare it to the person's line next to you. Decide which one of you drew a straighter line. Some of you are feeling pretty good. Say, my husband couldn't draw a straight line to save his life. (coughs) My wife is always crooked. I don't do that. Now, do the same thing with a ruler, a straight edge. And you realize both of your lines... We're not even close. 
As long as you pat yourself on the back and say, you know what, I had a pretty straight line. Did you see my line? Did you see how close I was to a straight line? But you put a straight edge, you put a ruler, you put something there, and that's exactly what the law does. It puts a straight edge against all that we put together in our lives and says, no, this is the standard. And every mouth will be silenced, and every person will be held accountable, and every eye will be opened. We will see that Jesus Christ is Lord. The song we sang just before I came out here to speak this morning, Revelation song, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We will all sing that. Every person on this planet will sing that. Why? Because it will be clear. The line, the straight edge will be clear. So where do we go from here? How, how do we deal with this, these entitlement issues? How do, how do we understand the difference? But so if that's the cure, what do we do right now? We need to remember this. There's your next fill-in for you this morning. I have been entrusted with the words of God. I have been entrusted with the words of God. If you remember a few months ago, we were in a series that we called uh, True Colors. It was a Joseph series and telling the story of Joseph and how his family treated him and how, how he lived his life faithfully before God. If you remember, he is sent to Egypt. His brothers imprisoned him and sent him as a slave to Egypt. And as they're going there to retrieve him, his brother Reuben talks to his father and he says, I, I need to go to him. But the only way that I can go to Egypt is if I take this other son, Benjamin, with me. It's the only way that he is going to see me. And he looks into his father's eyes and he says, I don't deserve this, but I need you to entrust Benjamin to my care. And the same thing happens with you and with me. When we are entrusted with the words of God, we do not deserve in any way what he has given to us. We have been entrusted with it, and we have to do the very best that is given. And specifically, here are some of the words of God that we are given specifically to the issue of entitlement. First feeling for you, I am to change I deserve to I am responsible. The attitude saying I deserve this to change that to I am responsible. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells a parable about a, a landowner who has men come and work for him. They start early in the morning. He says, I will pay you a day's wage. And they start in the morning. And then he doesn't have enough workers, so he goes out later in the day. And he, and he, and he grabs someone at lunchtime. And he says, I'll give you a day's wage to work with me the rest of the day. And then he goes out a third time. And he, and he grabs even more people and says, come and work for me. I'll give you a day's wage to work for an hour. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, he, he, he's starting to pay the employees. And what is the question that's asked? He said, well, what? I've been here all day. I'm to change I deserve to I am responsible. He answered one of them. He said, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a day's wage? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who's hired last the same as I gave you. What is it to you? Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? God is God, and you are not. 
I'm to change I deserve to I am responsible, understanding that I have been entrusted with the words of God. What if I started right now today? What if I started February the 10th, 2019, and going forward, I live a perfect life before God? No mistakes, absolutely none. Then I will deserve all that I get. Nope. (laughs) I'm sorry. Because you have the problem of your past to this point. You understand that. Even if you could do that, there is no one righteous. No, not one. I've been entrusted with the words of God, specific to entitlement. I am to do the hard things first. I am to do the hard things first. Proverbs chapter 6 says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Do the hard things first. Next, I am to keep inconvenient commitments. Inconvenient commitments Psalms chapter 15, 4 says, Be a person who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. Keep that commitment anyway. You want to push back against entitlement? Then you need to start clinging to the words that God has given you that says, you know what, it doesn't matter what their response is. You keep the commitment anyway, even though it's inconvenient for you to do so. Lastly, I'm to engage in serving others. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, the band will come up. It says this, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I'm to engage in serving others. I have been entrusted with the words of God. Does that still seem impossible? It is. It is. In Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul has been imprisoned, but something miraculous has happened. He and Silas, they start singing praise and worship songs, and the jail cells just, boom, fly open. And the jailer comes out, and there's something miraculous has happened. And he falls on the ground before Paul, and he says, what must I do to be saved? Verse 30 says this, after he brought them out of the inner prison, out of the jail cells, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they answered, (coughs) believe in the Lord Jesus, and the amplified version adds this, as your personal savior and entrust yourself to him, and you will be saved as your personal savior and entrust yourself to him. It is impossible. And day after day, you and I continue to have this faulty spiritual MRI because we are living an entrusted life as if there's something pretty spectacular about us. And we're gonna come up short. You're gonna come up short And just as this jailer is dropped to his knees and saying, what am I supposed to do? I'm out of options. He says, entrust yourself to God. 
entrust yourself. Believe in Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and entrust yourself to Him. You and I need a Savior. So this morning, if, if you don't know Jesus, this message is for you. This message is for you to, to realize that you need him tremendously. You've come to the dead end. You've come to the end of the road. You need him more than you've ever needed him before. And Jesus offers himself to you. He has the big solution to your big problem. But some of you are here this morning, and you don't believe you need a big solution. You've been in the church for long enough. You've performed the rituals for long enough. You have enough Bibles on the shelves and they're all dusted off. And you don't need it because you're entitled to this. God says, no, no. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the word is a continued saving continually, day after day, continuing to rescue you and rescue me. You and I need to be rescued every moment of every day, friends. And so that's what we pray for this morning. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, we come to you this morning knowing that we, that I am living a life of entitlement, assuming that I deserve anything on this earth. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, from head to toe, I realize that I am a sinner. Lord, there are many in here this morning who know clearly today through your word that there are blemishes, there are damages, there are things that are keeping them from you. And yet the entitlement trap says, it's not that bad. Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage, the boldness, perhaps write something down on a connection card, come to talk to one of us afterwards, Lord, or just cry out to you today where we need to be saved. We need to be rescued. We need that big solution to our big problem. We trust the power of your word, Lord. We trust that you are alive and active and moving this morning. Lord, I pray that you would give strength to those who need to respond, which is each and every one of us. We take our first steps together here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.